Leo is the ruler of the fifth house of the Zodiac, also known as the house of pleasure. Leo the lion rules the heart, and those born under his sign are said to have a strong body and deep voice. Ted Leo of Ted Leo and the Pharmacists, not actually a Leo. He joins us in the studio now, free of the pharmacists, but he's plugged in and he's playing a special set for us. He's also playing tonight at the River to River Festival in Manhattan. Hi, Ted. How are you? Hey, I'm all right, Mike. I want to talk about the band name. It goes well with Ted Leo. You got six total letters in your name, so you that gives you the freedom to have a pretty long and the name. That's true. Now, what are some backing band names that you've liked over the years? Ooh, um, I'm going to go ahead and out, go on a limb here and say the news. Yeah, definitely. Huey Lewis and the News—that's a good band name. Mm-hmm. Band name. Yeah, good band yeah. name. Yes, yeah. band name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like uh, Graham Parker and the Rumor. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there was Nick Lowe and the Impossible Birds. That's oh, yeah. kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So what I like about pharmacists mm-hmm. to be really to really break it down is that it's kind of funny because you, like this stodgy guy in a coat, but it's not zany Zagnut. Like it's not um, you know Ted Leo and the forensic accountants. That would just be a goofy <laughs> yes, thing. Yes, it would be. Yeah, but it's it's workmanlike too. These guys are going to work, right? They're mixing something up and they're going to work. Mm-hmm. So it's better than the chefs. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's fair to read. I've thought I've read a lot. I mean, it didn't come up with all of this with all of this uh you know kind of backstory to it but but i've i've added that in over the years like <laughs> yes mixing up the remedies and fix-its and poisons and a pretty pill and all that kind of right. stuff <laughs> right but it's, initially it was just that like you know i just thought it sounded cool so. it does and your fur chisel you thought maybe wasn't such a good name well that's when it, that's actually when it came up we i mean all of us were kind of sitting around at one the all the people in the band chisel and were sitting around at one point i remember and uh we're just like Wait, why are we in a band that's called Chisel again? <laughs> like, <laughs> how did that happen? And uh, it was at that point that the that the uh, the idea for the name Pharmacist came up, and I was like, I'm definitely going to use that someday. You want to play a song, then we'll talk a little more. Sure, yeah, All right, we can do that. Right. Intro it if you will, Ted. I'm kind of thinking about doing a cover. Are you guys okay with that? Love it. All right, I'm going to play this just because I I woke up today singing it. Okay. And I figured, why not? So yeah, it's called um, it's by the Water Boys, and it's called Fisherman's Blues. Well, I wish I was a fisherman Tumbling on the seas Far away from dry land And its bitter memories Casting out my sweet line With abandonment and love No ceiling bearing down on me But the starry skies above With light in my head You in my arms Shower was the brakeman on a hurtling fever train, crashing headlong into the heartland like a bullet in the rain. With the beating of the sleepers and the burning of the coal, watching the towns just flashing by on a night that's full of soul. With light in my head, you in my arms. 
fast Chains slung all around me They will fall to the ground at last And on that fine and fateful day I will take you in my hand I will ride on a speeding train I will be the fisherman With light in my head You in my arms Woo-hoo! A lot of musicians, I bet you played, you know, growing up um, for hours and hours on end on the guitar, right? I didn't actually start playing guitar till I was like 18. Really? Yeah. Why did you I, pick I, it up so late? You know, I don't know. I was, I was a fan, you know, I just like, I was a music fan. I just consumed music and I sang. I sang in bands before I actually played in guitar in bands, but it just was in terms of actually, in terms of actually like, you know, taking the reins myself and, and doing something um, of my own, I, I was kind of content to just be a fan for a long time. You know? Also in rock and roll and the kind of straight ahead rock and roll that you play, yeah, there's some sort of uh, nostalgia for the guys who can only, you know, the Sex Pistols who can only play three chords, but musical craftsmanship gets a lot of respect. The singing voice, not so much, mm. I find. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I think in certain certain quarters that's true yeah. and especially if you're a lyricist i'm also surprised how many guys write lyrics and they don't even care if the lyrics are intelligible i never understood that well i mean you know you know there are different motivations for for making music and there are, are different theories about what you know art in general should be and um certainly there's a very valid um portion of the art world that is it can be just entertainment and yeah like, we all certainly we all need that i mean you know you, you want to you know you can't deny like the power of like, you know, going to a go-go or you know, you know what I mean, like you know, Smokey Robinson songs or, or something that just really has no point other than to just make you like dance and sing along. Like right. that's fine, you know. And you know, and these, those those are expressive of emotions that we all feel too. Like I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I mean, even the the most like angry political screed that someone might write, they don't all they're not always walking around in their lives feeling that way, you know. So there's a whole range of stuff that you can you should feel free to deal with, I think. Now, speaking of political screeds or political songs, all your work has always been political. It seems to have gotten more so lately with the last album, more explicitly maybe. Is that fair? Possibly. People say both things, actually. <laughs> I, I, it's really true. Like, I, I kind of like, you know, there have been songs in the, in the past, like on the Hearts of Oak album, there was um, the song The Ballad of the Sin Eater, which is, uh, it's one of the, the more like kind of punchy political songs that I've, that I've ever written. And sometimes people seem to just want that over and over again, you know, and other times people really, you know, 
pull the Dixie Chicks thing, I mean, just say, well, you want to just sing some love songs? You know? Yeah. You can't really disinvite those people to the show. <laughs> right. But. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, 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 the thing is, like, I I try, to, I try these experiments at just writing love songs and, and the kind of social issues creep in anyway. So. Okay. So, so on the politics front. Uh, Jacob Gantz, who's our uh, director, he has wanted to know the answer to this question for seven years. Okay. So you get to answer a seven-year itch this guy's <laughs> wow. been having. All right. Your song, it's the, rare that you get that opportunity. Yep. Your song, The Great Communicator, yeah. is that about Ronald Reagan? No. It's not about Ronald Reagan. It's about kind of concepts of uh, the English language. I wrote that back when the, like, Ebonics debate was flying all over the place and uh, kind of... You know, just just the the idea that language should should remain a living and, and evolving thing. Yeah. All right. You want to play another one? Sure. All right. What do we got? I'm going to play a new song that most of our new stuff is a lot. It's not doesn't really translate well to uh, to singer songwritery solo y like mm-hmm. a lot of my other stuff has. It's more like just kind of straightforward and punk. Um, but I'm going to try it anyway. Okay. Is what the heck? Cool. So. Tell me tell me what it's called. It is called um, the Mighty Sparrow. Oh. Yeah. The Calypso legend. Yeah, yeah. Loved him. Well, it's not actually about... That's cool. Sparrow, but... Okay. When the cafe doors exploded, I reacted to... Reacted to... Reacted to... Cast the death that sunny morning, I was coming to... And I'm coming to... Coming to... Stuff right there. Thanks, man. 
Okay, so it wasn't about the Calypso guy, but no. he's like you in a way. I heard you were going to maybe do a musical about about uh, Guatemala and the banana trade. I, I'm just saying that because, you know, his lyrics weren't just, you know, Bob Marley, let's change the world. It was like about a specific dictator and this right. guy needs to go. Absolutely, yeah. That's that's one of the amazing things about the history of, like, Calypso music. I mean, people r- really tend to only remember, like, the you know, ban- the banana boat song and stuff. Right. But, I mean, to this day, it's, it's um you know, there's... They call out, you know, specific politicians on the most specific of issues. You yeah, know, it sounds pretty interesting. But yeah, I did. Um, I did uh, actually write the music for a, a musical that um, has seems to be stalled in terms of production. The Guatemala <laughs> Banana Trade musical. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, yeah, it's about. I mean, it's it's actually kind of. Um, there's a there's a romance, you know, that's the entree into the political sphere. Um, there's uh, a woman named Jennifer Harbury who was um, a human rights lawyer who went to kind of document um, abuses and stuff on on the front down there and wound up falling in love with um, a rebel leader who was disappeared and she spent years trying to recover his body. That's kind of where the story begins and it delves into the history of not just the banana, (laughs) but but, uh, the entire, you know, sordid story of... um, American governmental and uh, business yeah. dealings. In United Central Fruit. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, these is why mm-hmm. they're called banana republics. Yeah. Is this something that you're looking to do, maybe a musical or a soundtrack to a, you know, distinct piece of uh, film? or You know, put your songs in a context other than, you know, how you do them, live shows and albums. It's not a priority for me. Um, I, as, as a matter of fact, it's, it's the kind of thing where, in terms of uh, use of songs that I've written it's got to be something that really makes a lot of sense to me. Not to be too precious, but, like, my songs are precious to me. You know, I, I, you know, like, you know if I you want to emphasize that point, maybe a different adjective. Yeah, yeah. If you want to take it again, you can. Um. I stand by it. I stand by it. Um, Gem-like? I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that's not to say that, 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 um, that, you know, right circumstances don't exist, you know. They, they I'm sure they do. I just haven't really found them yet. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Ted. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Will you be playing with the pharmacist tonight? Absolutely. Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah. So Ted Leo and the pharmacist playing at the River to River Festival in Manhattan. Check them out. Thanks a lot again, Ted. Thank you. Coming up, if your name is Bryant Parker, you're a boy. But if you're Parker Bryant, well, it could go either way. Next up, androgynous baby names and... The most. This is the Bryant Park Project from NPR News. If you teach elementary school, I don't. But if you do, you won't know how many boys and girls are in your class by looking at the roll. That's because there will be plenty of Madisons, Morgans, Logans, Hunters, and Mackenzies in your class. Those are some of the top 100 American baby names in 2001, and there's something of a trend towards androgynous names. To take a look, we've got Laura Wattenberg, Laura, a woman, who wrote the baby name Wizard. Baby names turn out to be a pretty interesting piece of sociology. If you go to her site, thebabynamewizard.com, there's a pretty cool Java application that gives you a visual graph of the rise and fall, and oftentimes the rise again of a different name. It kind of unspools in front of you. It is a good graph. Hi, Laura. And I consulted this graph when naming my son Milo. I didn't really want to see where he ranked in the top 100, but I was curious. Can you tell me anything about the popularity of the name Milo? 
Yes, Milo had disappeared for a generation, but it's coming back along with other little names ending in O, like Theo and Hugo. And they're not just coming back in the United States, but all over the world. The O's have it. And while we're on that, Allison Stewart just had a baby, and his name is Isaac. They call him Ike. Is that coming back in popularity? Isaac is also back. All of those Old Testament names that back when we were kids sounded a little bit ancient. Isaac, yeah. Noah, they're all young today. Jebediah? Jebediah is on its way back. <sighs> yes, Zechariah, Jebediah. more common than you might think. Um, do you know anything? My obsession with naming my next child will be to give him an, an historic name. And I think of this because uh, there's a guy in the Congress named Ike Skelton, and his name is Isaac Newton Skelton. And, uh, you know, Hawkeye Pierce was Benjamin Franklin Pierce. Do you look at that kind of historic first, last uh, middle name combos? In fact, if that's what you're looking for today, you're an anomaly. It used <laughs> to be that naming after historical figures and political heroes was a common thing. Yeah. In fact, for generations, as soon as a new American president was elected, you'd see a bump in his last name that year. But today, we're a little bit more nervous. We hold off, wait until the president's out of office, or preferably dead, and then we say, okay, I know how that turned out. Maybe I, I still am I'm angling for Theo Roosevelt Pesca, next one up. Catchy. Yeah. So can you tell us about how a name crosses over from one sex to another to become androgynous? Once upon a time... The way a name would go from the boys' column to the girls' column is as a nickname. So if you go to the name Voyager and look for names like Bobby, Freddie, Frankie, you'll see that back in the 30s, those are boys' names and girls' names. Mm -hmm. But you'll notice that you won't find girls' names turning into boys' names. Right. Parents have never wanted that. They don't migrate in the other direction. It's, there's so much in society like that, like you can't market a toy for girls and expect boys will buy it, but you can't do it the other way around. But what is, So what happens when there is a name that is androgynous? Like uh, John, John Wayne's name was Marion, right, his original name, or Stacy Keach, and then it becomes a girl's name. Once, once a boy's name becomes a girl's name, does it start to die out as a boy's name? Typically, there's a tipping point that you take a name like Courtney or Ashley, and once it starts taking off for girls, the parents of boys abandon it. But there's been a little bit of a shift in the past generation simply because the names we're using for both boys and girls are changing. So today's androgynous name isn't likely to be just a twist on a traditional boy's name. Today, we're simply making up new names for boys and girls at such a fast clip uh-huh. that we're using some of the same names for both. Are the general conventions, girls' names end in A, for instance, are those being held to? We still like girls' names ending in A, but we like names for both boys and girls ending in N. Mm-hmm. And the real big change is for boys' names. It used to be that boys' names were not very subject to fashion. You see John, James, William, generation after generation. The big change today is that we've abandoned those classic names. Really? So John's, and I mean, Michael was the number one or two name throughout the 70s, no longer the case? Michael's still up there, but a fraction as popular as it once was. And that's something that's worth remembering about the number one name. There still is a number one name today. You'll see Jacob and Emily at the top, but they're just a tiny fraction as popular as John and Mary once were. The, the whole en- curve has fallen. The end names, which really means the names ending in the sound end, your Brendans, your Aidens, your Idens, your Cadens and Caitlins. What's behind that trend, do you think? Those names have a certain tidy masculinity. Mm-hmm. We're still not naming our boys, by and large, names ending in A, but they sound fresher. And what you'll see is a lot of those names are very similar. 
you actually can get a whole rhyming classroom of names today. So you have boys named Aiden, Caden, Brayden, and Jaden. Oh, great. And now, so some of the androgynous names, you know, Madison and Tyler, Mackenzie, these are last names. Is that where they come from, last names becoming first names? Does that lend themselves to more androgynous applications? Last names are a really popular place to look today because you can find names that feel familiar. They're not made up, but yet they're fresh because they haven't been first names in past generations. And absolutely, those names can emerge at the same time for boys and girls. So, Emerson right now is climbing on both sides. So if last names are first names and names that end in N are popular, then I think I've just come up with the next big name, Goldstein. Excellent. <laughs> you know, you might, you're not as far off as you might think because to the astonishment of Jews everywhere, Cohen is now a popular name for Christian children. C-O-H-E-N? Cohen indeed. Oh, are there any Cohen Cohens out there? <laughs> no, Jews would not name a child that. No. But... Uh, to non-Jews, it rhymes with Owen. Uh, to, to, right. Jews cannot hear that rhyme. It's weird. It's something uh, genetic in them. Now, I've also noticed this thing going on. My mother-in-law's friends have all – they're not horrible, horribly named. And what is a horrible name? Obviously, it's all subjective. All right, fine. <laughs> Brunhild is a horrible name. But, you know, they're all like the Judys and Carols and Barbaras and Lindas, and that's fine. No one – of my wife's generation or the babies are named any of those names. But the grandmothers, Rose, Ida, Sadie, Claire, all the babies are being named after the grandmothers. Is that a usual trend, skipping a generation like that? Exactly. The rule of thumb is our own names are too ordinary. Our parents' names are boring. Even our grandparents' names are a little too old. Mm. You look at our great-grandparents, and you've never met a young woman named Ida, so hey, Ida sounds fresh. Yeah. Although it doesn't, is it work less with boys' names? Because I don't see a lot of, uh, you know, Howards and Irving. <laughs> the problem with boys' names is that back then, boys were named John and James. Okay. And so there's not a lot to work with. Right. Now, a couple names are killed off by one person. Like, I know that celebrities, you know, cause people to be named maybe Britney, although I have read that she's actually more the reflection of a trend than the start of it, Britney Spears. But Adolf Hitler and Kermit the Frog killed those names. Can you think of any other names that were killed off by a single person? Absolutely. And it takes a lot. In fact, even a, a bad hurricane like Katrina will cause a name to go up rather than down just because oh, just the name it said so much. Yeah, it's like an earworm. It's in people's there heads. There are a few exceptions, though. If you look at the name Monica during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, it just fell off a cliff. <laughs> That's very interesting. And as far as the androgynous names, you know, people don't think as they grow up what, I don't know, troubles or maybe benefits they might incur. But what do you see as a longtime looker at, at baby names? What might the future hold for the Logans and Hunters and Mackenzies? Well, once upon a time, I think parents purposely chose those names for girls, thinking it would level the playing field. You see Logan on a resume, and it could be anything. But I think we're just going to have to brace for a future where you have to ask everybody. All right. You can't assume anything. Except I know you, Laura, to be a fine woman. Laura Wattenberg of BabyNameWizard.com. Thank you. Thanks very much. And next up on the show, because of your demands, we now hereby talk about the most popular stuff that's going on that's not even on the show, that's everywhere else on the internet and, you know, various places. The most. Dan, do you have a most? Uh, I do, Mike. How are you? I'm good, dude. I've got a most email from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, the Mexican Navy seized a homemade submarine full of cocaine. Uh, 
First of all, Mexico has a navy. Yeah. Uh, yes, and they seized a submarine. It was transporting cocaine off the southern coast, a 33-foot vessel. Not in the Rio Grande. No, 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 no. This is 30, This is 125 miles south of Puerto de Salina Cruz in Oaxaca. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Navy spokesman said special forces waited till the vessel surfaced. They repelled from helicopters, overpowered the four-man crew, seized what appears to be a large amount of cocaine. And they apparently- repelled from helicopters. Yeah, I guess that I just... That is so awesome sounding. I want to be there. Big anti-submarine cocaine right. mission. Apparently, this is becoming more and more common. Colombian authorities have captured more than a dozen vessels like this over the last few years, these homemade submarines, which the authorities also say are becoming more and more sophisticated. Uh, this article also wins the award for worst lead sentence of the uh-huh. day. You can't... Because you can't go wrong with this story. Well, you could really, you could really hook the view, the reader with any aspect of the story. You so would what think, they go with? Well, the se- the headline: submarine homemade and cocaine laden is seized off Mexico. That got me interested. Then I read the first sentence: the nation's drug wars sank to new depths Wednesday. Trisha, what do you have? Okay, this is actually not funny at all. So let me let's get out the palate cleanser. I have number one on Google Trends this morning is the name Oscar Diaz. He's a welterweight boxer. He uh, was fighting a guy named Delvin Rodriguez last night. Uh, it was broadcast on ESPN two in, in their Wednesday night fights. Oscar Diaz collapsed as he was entering the eleventh round and was taken to the hospital. He's now undergoing uh, reportedly undergoing brain surgery to relieve swelling. Um, things don't look good for him. Uh, the San Diego Express News quotes a doctor saying that he was breathing and he has a blood pressure, but he was not responding to their commands. He's on a ventilator? I He's read. on a ventilator. Yeah. Um, you know, this is all, I'm not quite sure how updated this story is. This all happened, you know, late last night, and, and some of these updates were overnight. The hospital hasn't made a statement yet today. Um, but, you know, he he all, he was fighting in front of a hometown crowd, which makes it even more painful for them. He's from right. San Antonio. Uh, it's that's clear the why, the story, why it was number one on Google. It's not just because of the story, but I'm sure the broadcast said, well, we don't know what's going to happen. And, of course, that's what you're most interested yeah, in. Yeah, you want to update. So now, so. You go, I mean, in the old days, you'd have to wait for some news bulletin that might not even occur. So now, you, you know, you see. Well, you know what's interesting, too, as I was checking the AP wires this morning, and they're not, they're not even reporting it. Well, they didn't, you know, it, he's not a big enough fighter. So that you'd naturally be reporting it, so they wouldn't have someone assigned. But now they could probably yeah. send someone out there. Yeah. People so are anyway, interested. let's you know keep, yep. keep watching Oscar Diaz. Hope, hopefully, he'll get better. All right, let me uh, let me do this one first before we cleanse the palate in the other direction. And this is uh, you know it's a tragedy and also a curiosity. This is the most emailed story of the Dallas Morning News headline: Balloons carried gun away in Red Lobster executive CSI like suicide. Guy named Thomas what? Hickman. Yeah, Thomas Hickman, uh, who was from Texas, and then he went to uh, went to New Mexico. And investigators of uh, and they they found him dead. At first, they thought it was a murder. He was shot. Then they found gun a gun tied to balloons in the bushes nearby. An investigator obtained a copy of an October 2003 episode of the television drama CSI. I saw that episode. And noticed that there were several similarities between that show and Hickman's case. They weren't sure he ever saw the program, but they went to this guy's garage. He had apparently filed away portions of a gun. They surmised to make the gun lighter. Maybe he wanted to stage it to make it look like a murder if he couldn't find the weapon. But the balloons didn't really get far, so at least if that was his plan, it was thwarted. On the episode, what was the point? 
well, I think, I, you know, it was so long ago, I actually don't remember how that one turned out. I just I just recalled the scenario, but I think it was tried to state, tried to be staged to look like a murder yeah. for, uh, like, insurance money. All right, so now we re-cleanse the other way. I love this story. Mark, go ahead. Okay, got a most emailed on WashingtonPost.com, a little blogger, barista, coffee controversy. If you want to get mosty, you, 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 need, you should involve bloggers because they will dig you and email you, and so you're, you're going to go up the charts. Uh, a blogger uh, uh, orders a triple espresso iced at his uh, local coffee shop and is told, no way, that totally violates barristery ethics. Uh, and he eventually asked for a cup of ice alongside his triple espresso, and he got a lecture. He did get the cup of ice, but he got a lecture. And so he blogged about <laughs> it um, late, and very angrily, like, it's my coffee, my choice, you know, that kind of I thing. I own it now. I can yeah. do with it what I want. Yeah. And so he actually, later, he asked for the strongest iced beverage your policy will allow. So that is an iced quad Americano, by the way, like that. Yeah. And oh so, uh, you know, I, I like to drink... I, I think they <laughs> seized a bunch of those in a submarine up in <laughs> Mexico. Yeah. So, uh, so I like to drink spirits. I like to drink the neat and, and so I understand some of this like the flavor argument because the ice kills the aroma muscle the flavor but it was also an anti-larceny uh, thing because basically the guy was saying people were getting an iced espresso going to the dairy bar as the kids call it and and basically legally making a latte which actually reminds me of one of my favorite invented drinks I call it the uh, latte dolce della canela this is Italian for sweet cinnamon milk so you just bring your own glass um, go into the coffee shop fill it up with the milk at the, at the dairy bar uh, add sugar or simple syrup stir top it with cinnamon and just leave yeah. very quickly. No it's one, a great, great beverage. No one ever said you weren't insane. It was such a good blog posting. <laughs> they linked right to Jack Nicholson in 12 easy pieces. And then the, the guy who owned the coffee shop like blogged in response and they got into a war and there were so many ethical issues. Not great. to quibble, but five easy pieces. How many easy pieces? He said five. Five. He said 12. Oh. Well, I you think of 12 angry men. What I want you to do is take seven of those easy pieces and hold them between your, your legs. Oh, yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Laura, I know you were here and you were going to do a most can do it really quick. Like, just give us the headline. Just tell you, yeah. real estate agents are serving pie to get people to buy their homes. That's all that they says got. It all. I got it. And that's of course. The most. <laughs> <laughs> and that was for the Seattle Post Intelligencer. Yes, you, it is. You, you came for the house, you stay for the pie. That is today's most. All the links are online. Check them out. And we've got lemonade and cookies for you. And that is it for this hour of the BPP. We are always online at npr.org slash Park. I'm Mike Pesca. This is the Brian Park Project from NPR News.